Thank you, David and Leah and team. That was awesome. Thank you so much. That just gets our heart in the right place yeah. as we get started. And Well, good evening, everybody. I'm Ben, and this is Janet Burns, and uh, we are from Portland, Oregon. Anybody been to Portland, Oregon? Okay, yeah. Kind of a crazy place. You know, I don't know what your city is known for. You're from a lot of different places around California, but for us, Portland, we're kind of known for, um, you know, roasted coffee. It's a great thing. Uh, handcrafted microbrews and homegrown anarchy. So... <laughs> If you want some coffee, if you want a nice sudsy beverage, or if you want to learn to put a pipe bomb together, how to use it, come on up. Yeah. We'll kind of show you how to do all that kind of stuff. But, can, uh, come, they come in handy. They you come never in handy. Know, yeah, right? yeah. But anyway, uh, we are marriage and family educators. And so we serve the church in a lot of different ways. Our particular church, uh, we've been marriage mentors. We work with uh, premarital couples. We do marriage coaching as well. Um, we've got a young married small group right now. We also travel around the country and do marriage conferences. So that's a little bit about what we do on our day-to-day -day job. And we are um, a family of five. We are empty nesters. I think there's a picture, yep. right, of us. That's it. We just celebrated our middle son's graduation from Biola University. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yes, Biola. We loved it. We had a great time as a family. First time we were together, because we're all, everyone's out of the house. So it was the first time we were together since Christmas. And so our, our oldest is the dark haired, she has dark hair. She's on the far right. You're, yeah, far right. And um, she's in Ireland. Our son's in Ireland. They're not together. Our daughter's horrible with directions, so we're terrified for her right now, because she's the one that calls us and says, I can't find my car. Yeah, but we're in Hume Lake. Yes. Come on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's Ireland? Yeah. Come on. Ireland, yeah. Schmireland. Yeah, that's yeah. true with yeah. the view that we got. Yeah. And then we are, so we're, we're home, ne home empty nesters, but not totally because we also have a Labradoodle. What did at you say home. about Sid, too? Oh, Sydney. Sorry. No. Poor, don't tell her I didn't mention her. No. <laughs> so our daughter, Sydney, she's the other redhead, and she um, goes to UC Davis, and she is actually plays basketball for them, and yeah, and does a little academic academics on the side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any big West fans in the house? Any, any Davis grads or, or any haters? Oh, yeah. That's fine. Haters there we are fine. go. Yeah, yeah. There's some, there's the Aggie. But now we have one other, yeah. one other person we need to mention, and that is this guy. That's, yeah. that's Hershey, our doodle, who is, will be 15 on July 4th. I yeah. know. And we just, yeah. So we're still finding child or dog care for yes, him exactly. before we go. Well, we are excited to be with you this weekend, marriage retreat. Uh, you know, we've heard so much about Hume Lake. It's just like we're like pinching ourselves that yeah. we actually get to be here. And the drive-in was gorgeous. If this was your first time too, you saw what we saw. Like God's creation is amazing. And the story here is amazing as well. And what we want to do is we want to talk about marriage this weekend. And it's interesting. A few years ago, Pew Research did a poll amongst Americans and said, what provides you a sense of meaning in your life? 69% people said family was the most meaningful thing in their life. Second was our careers at 34%, so a distant second. Third was money at 23%. But what's interesting is, are people really experiencing this thing that they find so much meaning in? Are they achieving that? Time Magazine a few years ago said this, there is no other single force causing as much measurable hardship and human misery in this country as the collapse of marriage. So why is it that so many of us want something so desperately but are so unsuccessful in actually getting it? And we, we want to suggest through this weekend is the idea that we don't really understand how marriage is supposed to work. 
And that's what we want to talk about this weekend. Matter of fact, the theme for our weekend is going to be the idea that we're better together. That marriage as a team. What does that team look like? What does unity look like? And that's what we want to talk about in our time together. Is how do we reflect this team? How do we work as a team? And by doing so, we're going to actually be better together. So that's what we want to talk about. And that's where we're actually going to start tonight in taking a look at that is how is it that marriage is supposed to work? So when I went away to college, it was probably the first time that I really got exposed to other families and other marriages. Um, I went to Colorado State University and I got involved with um, Campus Crusade for Christ. And there was one family that stood out the most to me. And, and I was, as I reflected back on like, why did they stick out to me? Because they're very similar to my family. They're, they have an intact marriage. They're committed to each other. However, there was something different about them. They had more joy. They, had, they were a team. And when I thought back on their marriage versus what I saw my parents hmm. model, what I saw was that they're both committed. But my parents were committed to not getting divorced. Hmm. But they were committed to following God's blueprint for marriage, this family that I met in college. And there's a big difference. You know, God lays out his blueprint for us in scripture. It starts, it's, if you think about, it, as you read scripture, there's so many places where marriage is referred to, right? Genesis, right? Adam and Eve. And it ends in Revelation where there is, where there is a marriage. In the Old Testament, um, God is referred to as um, the, the husband of Israel. Yeah, yeah. husband of Israel. Yeah. New Testament, we are the bride of Christ. Jesus does his first miracle, right, in a, at a wedding at Cana. You've got the Song of Solomon. It is the most intimate picture of a relationship that you can have. We know that with each other, and that's the relationship that God wants with us as well. So as we go on, we are going to talk about what is God's purpose for marriage, and there are three purposes, and they are to reflect God's unity, to reflect his love, and to reflect his loyalty. You know, it's interesting, like Janet was saying, because marriage is such a foundational relationship that teaches us about God and blesses us as we understand this and practice this. So that's why we want to start tonight. When we think about the team, let's understand what this unity is all about. And as Janet said, there's three things we want to look at tonight. And the first idea is that God's purposes for marriage involves this idea that marriage reflects God's unity. What's so interesting about the term unity, it's a very, very important word to God. You see it in the Old Testament about unity between Israel and their service to God. You see it in the New Testament. Paul writes to a lot of the churches that unity is important, peace and unification. And if you remember, Jesus prayed in John 17, his high priestly prayer. He prayed that the church that would come and follow him and be after him would be one as he and the Father are one. So why is it that unity is so important to God? Well, a few reasons. One, that God himself is unity. It's so crazy. Our faith says we have one God. That's right. One God. That's right. One God but he's three persons, but only one God, three persons. And it's a little confusing if you're new to the Christian faith or even if you've been around the Christian faith for a little while, it's hard to really get your head around. But the Bible presents this picture that God has diversity and unity in himself. What's so interesting is how God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together beautifully. Like if we could peel back eternity right now, you are not gonna find a fight in heaven. <laughs> you know, you're not gonna have the Father going, hey, 
guys, look, I got 9 billion prayer requests in my inbox. Can somebody help me here? You know? And like Jesus is on the couch going, hey, I went to the cross. I'm done. You know? <laughs> and the Father and the Son both look at each other like, where's the Holy Spirit? Like, well, where? I never know where he is. Where, you know? You don't see a fight like that. You see perfect unity. You see no one leaving the Trinity because God himself is unity. The other thing is that why this is so important is that not only is God the example of unity for us, but he's given us the capacity for unity. Look at this great passage in Genesis chapter one. It talks about God creating us in his image. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And drop down to the last verse. God saw that all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so what we see here is that God said that you have the capacity to be like me. You've been made in my image. Now, what does that mean? It means a few things. One, God is relational. So that's made, he, made, he's made us relational, the ability to have a relationship with him, to know our creator, to know his love and care and compassion for us. What's interesting about this, being made in his image, not only means that we're relational like him, but that he has given us this amazing ability and an awesome responsibility to make him visible to each other. That somehow we are like him. We don't have his supernatural abilities, but we have his character. We have his capacity. We can show each other love and kindness and forgiveness and compassion and all these things. We can actually show that to each other because we're made in his image. And the third idea about this is that God has made us for unity with each other as human beings. Uh, it's, it's just crazy when you think about it. We have that capacity to reflect him to each other and especially in marriage because his image bearers, men and women, were made for each other. See, just as God has diversity, Father, Son, and Spirit, but he's one, marriage has diversity. It's husband and wife becoming one flesh. So God has given us this example of what unity looks like in him. God has given us the capacity to give each other that kind of love the way he loves us. So the thing is, he's made us with this amazing ability to be diverse like him, but unified. Now, I don't know what your marriage is like, but we're kind of strong on the diversity side. We're still working <laughs> on the unity side. Anybody different out there from their spouse a little bit? Yeah. Well, some of the ways that we are different is the, uh, did we put it over here? I think so. It's saw just the idea that. of how men and women are actually different. Yeah. And it starts even with the sense that we have physiological differences. That's right. So as women, we have, well, let me see, where are those notes? We have four times the brain cells connecting the right side of our brain to the left side of our brain. Our stomachs and livers and appendixes are um, bigger than a guy's, which is interesting. And then our heart rate is 10 beats, 10 beats slower on average. So uh, men have 50% more upper body strength. That's why we're good with the luggage on the, the bin, the, the thing above. You know, guys, that's our job to lift it up there. We've got that upper body strength. Men have 20% more red blood cells, and also uh, men have thicker bones and skulls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so ladies, it is a scientific fact that your husband is a fathead, okay? That's just kind of the way it works. But there's other ways that we're different, like just in how we live our life. Like, for example, the dishwasher. 
Okay, I'm going to come right out and say it. My name's Ben, and I'm a restacker. Okay? When Janet stacks the dishwasher incorrectly, I go in and restack it properly. Okay? Pans don't go on the top. Okay? Pans go on the bottom. You know, all the mugs are on one side with all the handles pointed in the right direction, and the yeah. glasses are on the other side. We got the fork thing, we got the knife yeah. thing, we got There's the spoon thing. There's therapy for that, right? <laughs> yeah. Ben washes the dishes before he puts them in. Like, why do we even get a dishwasher? You. Do you know that detergent needs fat to be activated? So you don't want to wash your dishes before you put them in. Yeah, I mean, to Janet, the dishwasher is like a challenge. No, I mean, you know, she's going to put stuff on there that's no. been baked on for seven weeks. Here, try to clean that. I dare you. <laughs> Not <laughs> you <know>? true. <clears throat> yeah, we're really different nah. on how we do the whole dishes thing. Yeah, yeah. But what about the idea of date night? Does anybody get an occasional date night in there? Yeah, pretty nice. It's a good thing to do. You know, for Janet, her idea of date night is the Heathman Pub and Bakery, downtown Portland, which has nice starched aprons, so you know right away, this is expensive. I mean, who starches aprons, right? They're going to get dirty. <laughs> so we went in there for dessert, couple scoops of ice cream, a cup of coffee. It was over 20 bucks, okay? And the ice cream came on this plate, two melon ball-sized scoops of ice cream, artistically stacked on top of each other, right? Plate is covered with caramel sauce. So, like, I'm getting my money out of this. I'm, oh, 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 oh. 20 bucks for that. That's crazy. You can imagine what we talked about all night. Yeah, yeah. His idea of a date night is Costco. Because yes. you get two hot dogs and refillable beverages for $3, right? Can I get an amen anywhere? No. Amen. <laughs> If you're in a, and if he's in a splurgy mood, it's yeah, yeah. like, let's split one of those ice creams. Yeah. So that's what, Have you seen that? that's They're date like, night for Ben. That's like their size of Rhode Island for a buck 50. I mean, it's an amazing deal. Yeah. It's an amazing yeah. deal. You know, even for us, some of our differences come out in our nationalities, right? So I'm Irish and Scottish. Janet is Polish and Ukrainian. So sometimes the Irish peacekeeper comes out of me, you know, and I'll have to say something like, all right, love. I know I never should have said anything about your meatloaf smelling like a dirty gym locker, but please put down the knife, you know? That's no fight now. Or sometimes the Scottish guy has to come out, you know, and stand his ground, right? You know? All right, lassie, I see you staring at me with your wee beady eyes, criticizing my parking space. You, me, now, here, let's go, right? <clears throat> sometimes the Polish side, I don't really do the Polish voice well, but it's all about eating. It's about growing close together, you know? It's like, how do we handle that? But the other part of her that's Slavic, she's Ukrainian, there's the directness, this truthness, you know, like if I come home late and she's standing at the door like this, so you're 10 minutes late, no? <laughs> Tell me, do you have cell phone? Is cell phone charged? <laughs> Tonight, you sleep with dog. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing on that. <laughs> It's kind of true. Yeah, it is kind of true. Yes, yes. That, uh, Hershey and I have bonded. I think that's why for coming home late. But I think the last one is the area of just sexual intimacy. Yeah. You know, how do we get started there? How do we set the context for that? You know, for, for Janet, she wants kind of an environment. She wants kind of a, she wants all the lights off and all the blinds drawn and all the doors locked and all the kids like unconscious, right? So I pump them with Benadryl and I wrap them with duct tape. You know, you're not going anywhere, you know. Tape their mouths shut, right? Um, and some candles. She also wants this thing called emotional connection. Wow. Guys, wouldn't it be great if, wouldn't it be great, guys, if emotional connection came in an aerosol, right? 
<laughs> Your wife comes into the room. She's like, yeah, so I just got the kids. What is that? <laughs> You're like, it's emotional connection. She's really, you know? Yeah, I do want emotional connection. I do. Yeah, yeah. Ben and I could have uh, just gotten in an argument, and I'm walking away, and I look back, and he's checking me out. And he's like, so are, are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> no, not at all. No, yeah, I, need, I do need emotional connection. Yep. Well, the thing is, I'm a minimalist, okay? All I need is a pair of stiletto heels, and, <laughs> and that's about it, just a pair of stiletto heels. Yeah, I'm Janet, by the way. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Good clarification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're different, aren't you? And different is hard. We all understand about this idea of hard. We all understand that. The part that we struggle with is this idea of unity. It's like, are you really telling me that God wants us to be unified, that he wants us to reflect him to each other when we are so different? Yeah, yeah, he really does. Well, and as we've laughed about all of these, every single one of these was an argument. Yeah. It truly was. Mm -hmm. I mean, the stupid dishwasher, you know, you'd get your feelings hurt. I'd get my feelings hurt. He's restacking the dishwasher. What, the, what is that about? So our differences bring in the pain. Yeah. And the, yeah. See, the thing is, how do we get that unity when we're so different? And the thing is, is Adam and Eve knew a unity that we were designed to experience, but that we struggled to achieve. It's interesting. When you look at the next chapter in Genesis, Genesis 2, Look at what this says. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so you got this picture of, wow, they are really working together. God has made them for each other to work as a team. And I love how it says that, that God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Remember at the end of what we read previously, it says God looked at everything he made and said, it's good. And now he looks at Adam by himself and says, that's bad. <laughs> that's not the way it's supposed to be. And God built into Adam a need that even God could not meet. Let me say that again, that God built into Adam a need that even he could not meet. That need was for another human being that complemented him. And that's why he made Eve to come so they could work together and complement each other. It's so interesting, in the New Testament, Jesus being challenged about marriage actually makes a commentary on this phrase. Jesus said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then here's his comment. He said, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And what's interesting is he emphasizes this idea of unity. He says there are no longer two. There aren't two people there anymore. It's one. It's a unit. That's how I've made marriage to be, is to work as a unit. And then he says this idea that what God has brought together, let no one separate. He says that God is sovereign 
that God brings our spouse to us. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think God's smart? Do you think he knows what he's doing? Do you think he can look into your life and see your history and see your family of origin and see all your stuff and your temperament, your personality, all that stuff, and know who would work best, not only to encourage you, but to challenge you, to help you grow, to help you become more like him? Yes. And so what we see that's so amazing is that there's this unit that Adam and Eve were working in the garden as this inseparable, harmonious team. And the term for that in the Bible is called shalom. And it's a really beautiful, powerful word. I want to see if you can follow along with me as I read this definition. Shalom is this webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder, Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. And God's designed marriage to be this place where we fully receive and give to each other, where we fully bless each other, where we fully help each other. So this is what he wants it to be like because it reflects what he's like, that our unity is because he's unity himself and wants us to learn how to do that. See, God's made our marriages to reflect him and to be a harmonious team. Matter of fact, one of the things Jen and I like to do to reinforce is that we'll say, team burns, we're a team. We want you to do that. I want you to turn to you, each other, fist, make sure you know where your spouse is, okay, yeah, yeah, and fist bump and say, team, what's your name? Team what? That's team what burns. you are. You yeah. are a team, and God's made you so. So the first purpose of marriage is this idea to reflect God's unity. There's a second purpose. And that is that we reflect his love. Throughout the Bible says that when we, throughout the Bible, God says that when people love one another like he loves us, they become one and he becomes visible. There's a verse in 1 John 4, 8, and it says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In Oregon, there's a lake called Mirror Lake, and um, we've, we haven't camped at this particular spot no, I, yeah, I do. Yeah. I'd love to see yeah. it. There we go. That's Mirror Lake. And I know, it's amazing. And as you look at the lake, it perfectly reflects Mount Hood. If you wouldn't even need to look at Mount Hood, you could just mm. look at the lake and you would know exactly what Mount Hood looks like. And that is what God is saying he wants our marriage to be, our marriage to reflect his love. So when, when people look at us, they're like, something's different. Like mm. the couple that I saw in college. Mm. Their marriage was different, and they reflected God's love in a way that I hadn't seen in my own home. So love is foundational to the character of God. First John 13 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Hmm. Not if you go to church will they know that you are a follower of me. Not if you carry your Bible with you. Not if, even if you know scripture. But if you love one another, that is what's going to set you apart so that people will know that you follow God. 
And all yeah. those things are good. I mean, we're going to oh, grow absolutely. in church, grow yeah. in the word, grow in all of those things. But I think that's a great point that, that he's trying to tell them what's going to be the defining aspect of you. It's how you treat other people. That's amazing. So what does this love look like? You know, when we talk about love in our culture, it's all based on feeling, right? Mm. It's how you feel. I mean, and we love all things. We love donuts, right? We love puppies, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then we can turn around and just diss on them, right? But when you look at scripture, love is an action. Mm. It's all about behavior. There is, a, there is a very popular verse, 1 Corinthians 13, that's kind of our love passage. And many of you, I'm sure, have probably had it read in your wedding. Well, I'm going to read through it. And as I read through it, I want you to know, too, that this is how we're called to love each other mm. and to demonstrate love to each other. But this is how God loves you. Mm. So think about it that way. First of all, love is patient and kind. An article I read said that the fatal flaw in every marriage is that we think we're more kind than we really are. Hmm. That's true in our marriage, for me. Yeah. <laughs> it, love does not envy or boast. It isn't competitive. You know, you, it's, it doesn't have that attitude of, you think it's, you've had it hard? <laughs> I've been with three whiny kids all day, and you're having, like, work lunches? <laughs> Tough life. That, that's, that, that, yeah, that's that never happened. That, yeah. that never happened. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Love is not irritable or resentful. It's not like you feel like you're walking around on eggshells where things are extra touchy. It's not arrogant or rude. So it doesn't interrupt or roll eyes or ignore. It does not insist on its own way. It's not con controlling or demanding, but has a posture of being accommodating and flexible. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It means it doesn't excuse wrong behavior in ourselves hmm. in the sense of, well, if he acted better, then I would act better. Hmm. He deserved that. Love hopes all things because we know the God who raises people from the dead. Amen. And he can resurrect marriages. Amen. He, love endures all things and bears all things. It, it does the, love does hard work. It's not just passive. And love never ends. It hmm. just does not quit. So what I want you to reflect on right now is which one of these traits do you feel like, man, I need to work on? Hmm. This is where I'm, I'm having some, it would be I need God's help to get better at this and then talk about that with your spouse. So take a couple minutes to do that and then we'll, we'll, we'll start back up.
kind of convicting, isn't it? <laughs> I look at the... We the, heard some people talking about sports, so okay, we know. <laughs> you kind of, yeah, who's going to win? Who's going to win? We heard. For me, it's the whole love is patient and love is kind. I think about, you know, I oftentimes can talk more nicely to my neighbor mm. than I do to Ben. Yeah. I can be short with him and not as kind because, you know, he'll deal with it. He's but I'm nicer to my neighbors, so it's convicting yeah. to me. You know, I couldn't find any problems. Oh, oh. wait a minute, arrogant. Maybe that's the arrogant <laughs> one, yeah. <clears throat> Didn't see that one. No, I think for me it's irritable. I mean, you know how I get, I get rather OCD. I want things done a certain way. Mm. I want it to happen a certain timeline. Mm. And I can get irritable quickly with you, with the kids. And this is hard. But the thing is, God still is calling us to this. We don't get to just say it's hard, I'm not going to do it. So God says, no, I made you to be able to do this. And we're going to talk more about how he wants to help us. But the idea is that he's calling us to something bigger. And what that bigger is, is to reflect him. So the first thing we talked about was we reflect his mm -hmm. unity. The second thing we talked about is this idea that we reflect his kind of love towards each other. Well, there's a third purpose that we want to talk about. And that's the idea that we reflect God's loyalty, his loyalty. It's interesting, when you think about the person of God, God is someone who makes and keeps promises. He makes and keeps promises. And what's unique about that is the fact that it speaks to the core of who he is. God is a person of integrity. He cannot tell a lie. He cannot say something then take it back. He cannot say this is gonna happen if you do X, Y, Z, but not come through, because then he would not be holy. You know what's crazy is that when Adam and Eve, when he said, hey, don't eat from that tree in the middle of the garden or you're gonna die, they ate from the garden, right? And what happened? Their spirits died. They died spiritually. They got kicked out of the garden. You know, it wasn't like my version of parenting was like, come on, guys, did I not tell you what I meant? I mean, okay, let's try this again, you know, or I'm going to count to three, you know, stay away from the tree. Like, no, God meant what he said. He makes and keeps promises. As a matter of fact, I love this verse from 1 Kings 8.56. It says, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant king. And how God makes his promises to us is in covenants, that he makes these arrangements, these agreements with his people. And a, a covenant, a simple way to think of it is it's an agreement that's personal, it's obligatory, it's binding, and it's unbreakable. And when God makes a covenant, even though we fall short of our obligations to follow him, he will never leave us or forsake us because of his promise to us. And the thing that's crazy, guys, is that we're made in his image. And you know what? He wants us to become people like that. Mm -hmm. He actually wants to help us become people who have integrity like him, that we say what we mean and we mean what we say. And what's interesting is this whole idea of God's promise is based on this concept of God's loving kindness. And the Hebrew word for this is chesed. Did I get anything on you, Jason? I'm sorry. Chesed. That's the name of it. It's, it's fun to say, but you got to put up a little screen right there. And chesed is an amazingly beautiful word. Look at the, the definition of this word. It's, that lo it's loyal love. It describes an act of promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care, a display of God's generous loyalty to his promise, eternally loyal to his promise. That's what is behind this idea that when God makes a promise to us, it's his loyal love that will follow through on that. And you know what's interesting is that as God makes his promises and keeps them, as his image bearers, we can make promises too. We can. 
and he expects us to keep them. You know, when we got married, I made a lot of promises, and you made a lot of promises. And what was interesting about that is Janet and I took this bumpy road to the altar. We uh, dated off and on for four and a half years. We had several breakups. We even had a broken engagement. And part of the thing for me, we both had things we were bringing to the party that were making it hard for us. But my thing is I would have so much anxiety about the future. I would get way out into the future, see all these problems, say, I don't know if I can do that. And we would go back and forth. And I remember that when we were getting married, what was interesting is all the groomsmen were kind of like, I don't know if he's going to stick with this thing, you know? So they're laying down bets in the back to see if I'm really going to follow through on this thing. And by the way, that's why guys are all in tuxedos. They're all dressed the same. Because if that guy leaves, they all just step over one, right? And it's like, okay, <laughs> uh, I, I'll get her. I'll take her, right? And so what happened was when the guy was saying all the promises, you know, Ben, you promised to do this and this and that. When it was my turn to say I do, I waited for about a nanosecond too long. And everyone's like, what? Hmm? And what I realized is that I was promising to love Janet the way God loves her. And I knew I was promising over my head. You see, we make some amazing promises to each other when we get married. We promise devotion to have and to hold. We promise romantic and sexual exclusivity to forsake all others. We promise permanence. We say, until death do us part. And God expects us to keep those promises. Matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 and 5, he says, when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. And the thing is, all of us struggle with keeping our word. All of us struggle with being loyal and being the kind of person God is. But he wants to help us. He wants us to become these kinds of people. And these are anchors to our marriage. That we've got to be loyal to each other if we're going to have the kind of marriage that we want to live in. Um, I don't know if many of you have seen the movie Forrest Gump. Anyone remember that movie? What would it be like to have Forrest Gump as a counselor, marriage counselor? That'd be kind of interesting, you know? You know, marriage is like a box of chocolates. You never know if you pick a nut, right? (laughs) Well, if you remember the story, uh, Forrest and Jenny were really close. They did a lot of things together, right? Me and Jenny was like peas and carrots. And so they would do stuff together, and then later on she got older. She'd go out and party and be crazy and come back to Forrest and kind of get straightened out. Then she'd go out and party, and then she'd come back out. And then she'd go out and party and she'd come back. She kept coming back to Forrest to get a sense about her and then she'd go out and be crazy. And so one time she came back and she's hanging out with him for a fair amount of time. They're really enjoying their relationship. And at one point, Forrest proposes to her. I don't know if you remember that. He says to her, he says, Jenny, will you marry me? And she says, no. And he says, I may not be a smart man, Jenny, but I know what love is. And then he walks away like this. (laughs) And he kind of stands like this for a while, which is uh, uncomfortable. Like some of you are a little uncomfortable that I'm saying like this. Just, <laughs> sometimes I like to shop with Janet like this, you know, <laughs> honey, can I get some bread for your basket? I think it's over here on aisle nine. Would, that, would you like that? Yeah. <laughs> what was crazy about that movie, it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards. It won seven. And with a guy who won the, the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, Eric Roth, came up and said, you know what? This is a really simple story. It's a story about unconditional love. And he's right, isn't he? No matter what Jenny did, she could always come back to Forrest. Wouldn't, wouldn't all of us love to have a person in our life like Forrest Gump? We would love to have a person like that. How many of us want to be Forrest Gump? 
You see, God is calling us to be loyal like he is, to love like he does, to be unified like he is. Mm -hmm. And so he's giving this big picture of our marriage, and at times it can feel so daunting and so heavy and so difficult, and we're going to talk more about how we protect it and how we grow in it, but the picture is God has called us to something really big and really beautiful and a huge, huge blessing. So... As we think about just kind of closing up for tonight. Yeah. yeah. We've talked about that God's purpose for our marriage is that we reflect unity. We reflect the unity that he has. We reflect his love. And we reflect loyalty. And what we are aware of is in a group this size yeah. that there are people all over the spectrum. Yeah. Some of you are doing so great. You're like we're like one, you know, we're, we're so one, we're so unified, we speak with one voice. But some of you are like, I don't know if we're going to make it. Hmm. And, and we just want to say, we're so glad you're here. Mm -hmm. God's brought you here intentionally. He's working. We know that there's, we've been praying for you all. Mm -hmm. We know others have been praying too. And we just want to believe and do believe that God wants to work in your heart and we just ask that you would pray, if that's you, where you kind of feel like maybe we're roommates, maybe we don't even know if we're going to make it, that you would ask God to soften your heart towards him. Yeah. And like, what does he have to say to you specifically? Not to your spouse, but mm. to you. And, and that he would soften your heart to each other. Because all it takes for a marriage to break apart is for one person's heart to get hard. Yeah. And we don't, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Well, tomorrow, we are going to be talking about how do we protect our unity. But tonight, as you go back, um, we, we want you to discuss, like, what, on a, let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you find yourself? Do you feel like you are really unified? Most of us probably aren't a 10. So where can you grow? Where can you push into reflecting God to each other in a better way? Yeah. So one is you're just kind of like roommates, like Janet said. And 10 is you wear the same shirts. I, thought, I saw that couple tonight. You're wearing the same <laughs> shirts. No, but that you feel really close. But identify that for yourself. And trust God to have a little conversation about that, to get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. Because I think every single person, every single marriage in this room wants to have that kind of relationship that God's designed you for. We all want that. Our hearts long yeah. for that. Why? Because it's in our DNA. God made men and women to complement each other in marriage and be this beautiful team. We all want that. Let me pray for us. Yeah. Father, thank you very much for tonight. Thank you for getting us here. It's been a long drive. It's been, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of transition for us. And Father, we're grateful that you have uh, demonstrated your love and loyalty to us. You've demonstrated your unity, that you've given us this amazing ability to be like you towards each other. And Father, we pray that you will help us. Would you help us identify where we are in being unified? And Lord, will you help us to have the conversations about getting back to a place of unity? We just ask that you would help us be kind to each other, to listen to you, and just keep taking the next, next steps about understanding our marriage from your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.